The following presentation by Taylor Fragon Capital Management LLC is intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Taylor Fragon or any other investment professional of your choosing. Please see additional important disclosure at the end of this presentation. A copy of Taylor Fragon's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.taylorfragon.com. We are live, well, sort of, you're not listening to this live, but Jerry and I are live, the both of us. We're alive. We are alive too. It's the long only podcast. And he's yeah. Doug. He's Jerry. His name's on the firm, mine's not. So, Jerry, what's been up? Uh, well... It's interesting because the market has been up and setting new highs. And I think it's been quite misleading for most people because, who don't who aren't regular observers because I think there's this perception that things are hunky-dory in market world when in reality it's being driven by a very few number of companies. I think we've talked on, about this. We have. Yes. Sure, I'm sure we've talked about it. I call this um, incumbency because it's, a, it's jargony. It's an incumbent problem. And I don't, and I don't, let me preface all of this with, I don't have any problem with large, 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 gigantic, huge, massive companies, as long as they're not being given a pass or given uh, special treatment from government. And I, you know, I don't think that's happening in most cases, which the, the, the company of the day is clearly NVIDIA. It's the most important semiconductor company in the world, making graphics processors, which are extremely powerful processors, very expensive and in short supply. And NVIDIA is crossing into a $2 trillion market cap. And full disclosure, we owned NVIDIA for about 17 years, did very, very well with it, sold it in 2000 and I think 19 or 20 um, at a significantly lower value than it is today. But we still made something like 42 times our money on that. So I think we sold it around a $400 billion market value. So, you know, it's quadrupled since then, but when you're up 40 something X in 17 years, you decide uh, maybe it's time to move away. And and when a company gets to be a half a trillion dollars or thereabouts for us, that's just, it's too big for us and as in our, in our growth strategy. So um, <clears throat> we have no chagrin about our selling NVIDIA and, and it's continued to be extremely important. And this is what we thought NVIDIA would be. It's why we bought it and owned it for so long. And by the way, in the interest of, uh, of, a, of describing patience in investing, that some odd, 17 some odd years that we owned it. And there was a period there where we actually owned it maybe seven years and sold it because we were frustrated because it wasn't going anywhere. And then fortunately bought it back fairly short after and realized, you know what, this is a mistake. We got to hang in there and, st and stay with it. And I think we paid basically the same price we sold it for maybe a, a year later. Um, so it was a 17 year period of time with a little break in there. And, but it wasn't until the last five, four or five years that we owned it, that it actually exploded. And, you know, how, how many folks, professional money managers included, uh, would would not have given a company that much time to come to fruition. And so it, it's, I would, you know, I would say, uh, you know, 
accuse us of cherry picking if you want, but that's one of our great successes in our, in my career was, was hanging in there with a company like that, that hadn't done very well or just, just hadn't done enough, if you will. Um, for like the first 10, 12 years that we owned it. And uh, so much so that at one point we lost faith and got out and then panicked and got back in. But then it still took, you know, six, seven years for it to come to fruition. And then when it did, it was just amazing. And it's continued to be amazing. And, uh, you know, it's driving a lot right now. I mean, heck, the other day uh, when they reported earnings and they had just a bang up earnings, amazingly good earnings. um, Yeah, I mean, it was it was a market driver. Um, but what we have is, you know, we've talked about that magnificent seven, maybe it's 10 companies that are such a significant percentage of the movement in the S and P 500, which is so broadly considered the quote unquote market. The fact is, is most companies are not participating in that. Um, and we are in our portfolio, our growth portfolio. Anyway, we've, we've participated on the income side, which is interesting, over the last couple of years, but not on the growth side as it's been underperforming, uh, the large, the, the, the very mega cap big tech names. And, and in fairness, they finally got big tech, right? NVIDIA is clearly a technology company. It's not we've a always taken technology it. company or media company masquerading as a technology. Correct. Company. We've always made that, it, you know, it's clearly a, a very, very good technology company. And Jensen Wong, the CEO, I, I remember, I think when we were first doing due diligence on it, it was late, late nineties and, uh, going and seeing him in an analyst meeting and, and, and coming back to my team and saying, that's a guy I want running my company. I mean, he's just a phenomenal manager. Now it's different when it's a $2 trillion company than when it's a, you know, $400 million company. Um, and he's been able to, you know, obviously prove that he can manage a gigantic company as well as he did a smaller company kudos to him and 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 uh you know we need to uh, we need to point out you know great managers when when they exist you know you hear all about elon musk and you know steve jobs jensen wong is not necessarily a household name but he probably should be it's just really done a great job just wanting to point out that these new highs in the market are being driven by a few companies we we really need to get that broadened out um, and after five years or so of significant outperformance from our more smaller growthy companies in our growth strategy, you know, I've had a couple of years of underperforming. I think that's a, I think that's going to change because that's been so driven by interest rates and inflation and, uh, which is the worst we've seen in 50, 50 years, seventies, is that 50 years? Um, and I think we're getting past that, uh, as we've said, I think we probably risk interest rates pushing too hard uh, on higher interest rates, pushing too hard on the economy and probably creating, you know, more weakness in the economy than we would need to have because of that. And when I say need to have, you never need to have it, but uh, you know, the, 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 the policymakers who think that economic growth, people working causes inflation, which is nonsense. Um, nonetheless, uh, yeah, they're, they're probably going to, to at least slow the economy more than uh, than it would have otherwise been slowed had we not had now these uh, these higher interest rates 
And, and in, in and of themselves, I mean, we were arguing for higher interest rates for years when we were at 0% interest rates. And here we are now finally getting higher interest rates. And, you know, we're saying, well, geez, they shouldn't, you know, they, they, they've overdone it. Well, it's because they've been asleep at the switch for so long with 0% interest rates. It's kind of like, okay, now you're doing it at a point in time where the economy is more, you know, susceptible and, you know, more than anything, what's horrible about it is they think they have to slow the economy to stop inflation. If we aren't once again improve, once again proving that economic growth is not a driver of inflation, I don't know what more we need than what we're seeing right now. The economy is has continued to grow, albeit slowly, in, uh, you know, what it was a ridiculously high inflation environment. And now inflation is has kind of started to wane a bit and and it's hard because so many people are still paying so much more for all of us are paying so much more for basic, you know, items. Um, well, that's what happens when you have the kind of crazy jump in inflation because of massive spending from government. That's what happens. Um, unfortunately, it's not likely to come down. That's the, that's the really sad thing. And I think we're about to hear, maybe is it tonight? This, I'm telling you what day it is, right? State of the Union. I think, I think Uncle Joe's a, is going to give a, a State of the Union address, and so re- reportedly he's going to trash companies for uh, shrinkflation. Um, you know, putting fewer potato chips in the bag as a means to get away with you know jamming people for more profit. Well, it's Total. an annoying, an annoying thing. Nonetheless, but it probably is. not the thing the president should be focused on. No, and and not and not the cause by any means. Yep, exactly. Like, it's kind it's of your spending that has done this knucklehead. I think anyway. I'll be watching old schoolhouse rock videos on YouTube. They'll be more educational and I'll have a better time. So. It's Lent, and I'm not watching TV. So uh, he his state of the union will be one I'm gladly not yeah, going to exactly. watch. Um, anyway, so you asked a question about the market, and I'm here I'm on a diatribe. I think I but, said, how's it going? And that was 10 minutes ago. But the, I, w- w- but I do want to get into go- something. Where it's going is it's making new, new highs. Where it's not going is it's not enough companies are participating in that. Well, let's, let's talk about something that, that I thought of the subject and you assented to it. This goes into an idea, the market versus the economy. They're not one and the same. There's overlap. They're two, they're two different and related items. People often mistake the two, one for the other. Yeah. And, and I mean, generally speaking, the market is a discounting mechanism that's discounting, you know, in fact, I would argue is, <laughs> is overly discounting one way or the other, um, you know, on a regular basis. Um, I think we, we talked about this, we talked about it offline, I don't know if we talked about it online, that there may have been an inflection here recently that, I mean, we're once again seeing our earnings for our companies come in good. In fact, they've been through this whole period where they've underperformed stock price-wise, they've actually in general done pretty well in their earnings. They've, they've managed well. We we can't, in the aggregate, you always have your problem children, but they're, they're in the aggregate, they've managed through these this difficult time, both COVID and post-COVID well, what we're seeing now is actually really good earning. Like they're banging it out of the park at the moment and uh, almost across the board, even the problem children are acting better. And, you know, I think that could be an inflection. 
Um, if you were to get, if you were to get a combination of relief on the interest rate and inflation side continuing, and I think, I think you will, God forbid you should actually get some policies that are halfway decent, or at least just a stopping of the massive spending sprees that we've seen over recent years, which means, you know, as, 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 Let's put it this way. A government which doesn't allow that to happen, i.e. a divided government, might be the best darn thing that could possibly happen. Keep keep everything at bay. Keep them from being crazy in their spending. You know, if we got that combined with the, the inflation and interest rate relief, you know, it, it could be a Katie bar the door, you know, rest of the market starts to really pick up and then you could go on to really significant new highs and you might see those larger companies. Um, and actually, you know, given the, the, the size of those companies now that, that seven to 10 companies that drive the market for the most part, you might actually see the overall market averages not really do as well. And you'll start to see some of these smaller and mid cap indices and just in general, the broader market do pretty well, but it may not show up as much in the, in the, in the averages because they're so heavily because all these averages are market market capitalization weighted. You you could end up seeing where the overall market if if those you know if the magnificent seven should suddenly stall, which would not be surprising given how they have driven things. Um, you could see the overall market averages maybe you know look like yawners and and the and the smaller indices and the small the broader market do reasonably well i think that's probably an inflection that's if not if hasn't if it hasn't happened already it's probably out there in the not too distant future but do you think that the main we're talking about the differences between the stock market and the economy and the distinction between the two it's mm-hmm. not merely a question of the fact that the stock market can kind of can be manipulated by the performance of a few out of a few outliers in terms of size, the the stock market generally gives the old adage back when I was in high school used to be the stock market allegedly gives you the, the opinion of what the economy is going to be six months from now. And I think that uh, with, and it's important to see that the, the, the stock market is a, is a method for investment, but that can often be di- very different than what, than what we're seeing in terms of real transacting of business. Well, in the economy, sure. and 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 also the stock market is structured in such a way, just the way that it works. You've got you've got a few companies that can that can really pull the stock market up, and then also let's face it, a lot of America doesn't own assets, so it's very easy to have a situation like 2020, the second half of 2020, where the, the people who own assets and and I'm I'm closer to a have than a have not, so I'm putting myself in this category, right? Uh, by the grace of God, I should point out, but did did pretty well, but but you know. The mainstream very well, yeah, did mainstream, very well, but not everyone has a has a, a healthy retirement account full of right. full of stocks, things like that. So you can have a very good performing stock market that, that really just makes the rich richer and doesn't do anything for the average the average person's experience in the the economy as a whole. Well, that's the problem with why you know, when we talk about the these few gigantic companies that have you know. Uh, advantages in the market. And, I, and, I, and, and let me put a footnote on all of this. I am absolutely opposed to, uh, you know, what we're seeing right now. And it's kind of oxymoronic. We're seeing the FTC uh, putting, a, putting the brakes on every merger and acquisition, it seems, that comes along. 
We're seeing the government trying to sue some of these, you know, what are really great companies. And, and I may have my issues with, with individually these gigantic companies, the Magnificent Seven or Ten, whatever you want it to be. But in general, they've been great companies. I mean, they've been very successful. Um, so it's the oxymoronic aspect of it is there's part, there's, uh, there's aspects to where the government has allowed this to happen, not because they were necessarily trying to benefit those companies, but it, it, in their effort to try and, and, and I'm, and I'm not even going to say this is nefarious. I, I've, I've made this point before in the effort to try and stop the ills that have happened over the last few decades, you know, every crisis results in some sort of government intervention that's regulatory just by that very nature they've made it harder for smaller businesses to compete with these guys. Okay. That doesn't mean I want them to go out and take these companies apart. These are some of the greatest companies in the world. They happen to be American companies. You know, God forbid what we're doing is out there trying to crush our American great companies. Um, you know, while inadvertently propping up, you know, foreign actors that are not necessarily our friends. Um, I, I think that's the the difficult and I'll use that term again, oxymoronic situation that we find ourselves in and where we have to be careful not to confuse globalism with the global economy. For one thing, um, I'm all for as much as we possibly can ha- have the, the trade situation be as level as we can. And I think the way to do that is one on one trade trade deals, not massive, huge, gigantic, everybody's involved in a, you know, North American free trade deal or a generally accepted agreement on tax tariffs, the gap type stuff. Um, now we're getting into the weeds, but my point is I don't want to, I don't want to take these, I want government out there taking our great companies apart by the same token. I want the government to take the heck out of the business world and let small businesses flourish. And when they put onerous regulations on small businesses, everything from the corner grocery store to the, the mid-sized wealth management firm gets negatively affected and has a hard time competing with those larger companies. And like I said, I don't think it doesn't even have to be nefarious. It's just happens. It's what happens. It's what happens. And so um, I think that any, any relief on that front could be a great boon to to business because there the fact is is there's plenty of still despite all the problems we have culturally and what have you there's still there's still some great innovative ideas out there primarily emanating from america but also other places that are uh you know we talk about israel all the time and and israel's in the news a lot because of the horror of what's happening with their war but remarkable technology that comes out of that place and uh and there's a symbiotic relationship between the technology sector here and the te- technology sector there. And each one can help the other and vice, you know, vice versa, whatever. So uh, the, the bottom line, as you ask this question about market, um, is well, I think we might be looking at a bit of an inflection here. And if we get some things right on the policy side, it could be really a good, a good time. And we're going to switch gears not entirely. We're going to talk. We're going to talk our own book for a minute, and this does relate to Nvidia because Nvidia has been very kind to this asset recently. But yeah. we've got what's going on. What's going on? I call it the render sans, which is the upswing of the rend, of the render token. That's you, that uh, is the 
is the product, the tool of one of our private investments, uh, Otoy. So this is a crypto token that is used to facilitate this outsourced graphics processing for complex two-dimensional, three-dimensional graphics that, that Otoy, again, facilitates. And render's gone bonkers. It's R&DR. And this is largely a product, Jerry, of what happened with NVIDIA last week with NVIDIA's banger earnings. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, I mentioned when we were talking about NVIDIA that there's a huge, you know, problem in a short supply of, of, of graphics processors, which are used for not just the complex rendering for 3D video computer graphics um, for, you know, movies, videos, games, whatever. Um, and, and I might add, there's, there's much more to it than that. Um, but this is, this is stuff, whether it's, Augmented reality, virtual reality, is used in training and in 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 enterprise all over the place, and that's that might be even the bigger ultimate application. Um, you know, a- AI uh, being used for these kinds of of in these functions is is extremely important. AI is big hype right now, but what you have with with the render network is actually a real use case. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a joke. It's a, it's an actual um, network of distributed graphics processors that, that helps to ease the burden of the lack of supply as well as make it much more cost effective and uh, efficient to render computer graphics and and also potentially to be used for whatever other types of high performance computing jobs that need to be done. So, um, and this is not a new phenomenon. Yeah, this was the 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 network was begun in the in 2017 timeframe. I think the late, late 2017 was when the token was first issued, and it had an immediate when that whole crypto craziness happened in 2020 21. It ran way up and then ran right back down. Um, now we're we're crossing over those old highs only in a much more um, valid, shall I say? In other words, the network can can is more support it can support these kinds of values. It's still extremely valued. I mean, network if you were just running it on a pure, uh, you know, cash flow standpoint, it's 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 way highly valued. But it's now really discounting. Okay, what does this mean for the future? And if you get to, you know, starting to you know, think through what what that might ultimately become. How valuable is a network of distributed GPUs in a world which is, you know, clamoring for this very very sophisticated, high end, complex computing hardware? Um, I, I hate to say sky's the limit, but I mean, there's a there's a significant opportunity there, and and Otoy's at the heart of it with their render network, and the and the values being recognized in the token uh, it's it goes back to what we've said before with crypto is the product is the investment so the product being the network the network's value increases as the network gets used more um and uh, it's a it's i think it's a win-win for artists who want to use this type of technology and have been you know, sort of locked out of it because of lack of resources. This gives them, I hate to use this term democratization. I really hate it, but. but let's let's use a kind of word. Let's use communism. <laughs> uh, no. 
<laughs> but it, it, it does, it does give more access to, to folks that might not have had it before. It's like Airbnb for graphics processing. We have an, said that to use the metaphor. I hate. So, yeah, but, but it kind of is, it kind of is. I compare it to no one. You've never corrected me on this. Maybe it's because you aren't familiar with it, but no one's ever called me out on it. But I just compared to how the Hubble telescope worked. I thought the Hubble telescope was using outsourced processing back in the day of, you know, when only the geeks were on the internet. So, but there's probably. Airbnb. Did that finally blow up? I don't know. It's out there somewhere, right? I think so. It got like years ago, it went past Jupiter, I think. It must be like, is it beyond Pluto now? I heard Pluto is a planet again because of Arizona. That's what I think. They're, yeah, they're very, they're very sensitive to that in Flagstaff. So up yeah. in the observatory, there, yeah. the Lowell Observatory, which uh, they want to make Pluto a planet, which is a nice little place to visit. Got a nice vista of downtown Flagstaff. So. No, you can see it, but not smell the pot. It's and there's good. a yeah, and there's a big crater not far from there. Yes, I have been to that crater too. That's east of the the city. So yeah, there's a fair amount of for those who do the astronomy type sightseeing. The northern Arizona has got some got some things. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap it up for today because I'm about to run out of battery. So we'll close it. Remember. Us on TaylorForgon.invest, our website TaylorForgon.com. Of course, we've got a YouTube channel here, and also email us at longonly at TaylorForgon.com. Until next week, I'm Doug. I'm Jerry. Thanks for joining us on the Long Only Podcast. Bye now.